we like to highlight what's going on um, weekly and people are sharing the love of Jesus and what's uh, going on in house groups. And Sherry Mullane, she's um, one of our house group leaders on our board and she's got a great story from yesterday that she wants to share from, from her crew. Okay, so um, I get the incredible privilege of being a part of the church and in a house group. And um, our privilege this week was um, helping out a, a, a friend um, who's a foster, there's a foster family. And um, our house group said, hey, you know what, we do yards well. And uh, we were just talking and um, she said, we haven't been able to take care of our yard because of the foster child that we're taking care of. And uh, said, hey, my house group does yards and we've been talking a lot in church about caring for foster families. So we were there yesterday and this is what she said on her social media. This is a part of being foster care. Today, a group from the Florence Vineyard came and cleared out my insanely overgrown flower beds, mulched and cleaned up our yard. I cannot express to you clearly how much this blessed us and the burden it lifted. I cried big tears. When I saw the finished work, we have between five and 10 appointments a week for our foster son, plus four other children and jobs and ministry. Things like yard work often fall to the bottom of the list, things that we cannot get done. Not from lack of want, but there just isn't time and energy often. I have been trying to figure out how I was going to get the daunting task done so we could enjoy our backyard again. If you remember, last summer, a tree fell on our house and it took five months to get it all resolved. So we haven't enjoyed our yard much in the past year. I expressed my need to a friend, even though I was embarrassed. And just like that, the church stepped in. Support is the number one thing most foster families need. And that doesn't always mean support in working with the kids. Taking care of tasks like the yard, meals, cleaning, shopping, all those things are huge. And being consistent and checking in on those families. If you're a believer, you are to be a part somehow. Many aren't in a place to open their home. But if you ask God what you can do, he will help show you unique ways to use your gifting to help in the ministry of foster care. No job is too small. And this is how the body of Christ beautifully comes together. Each member working to the benefit of the other and giving God the glory. Amen. Amen. So just to tell you what that looked like for our small group, several of our families are out of town on vacation and not everybody likes to work in the yard that's in our group. But for those of us that do, we went. And for those of us that don't, they supported in other ways. We had uh, one of our families come uh, while we were in the middle of cleaning up the yard and they gave us fruit and water and blessed us and blessed the family just that way. So it's not just about raking up the leaves. It was about supporting each other and supporting each other. 
And uh, I, I got to tell you, I'm just so honored to be a part of the kingdom of God. So thank you. Amen. Amen. That's powerful. Um, and that's, that's the kind of stuff that we, that we want to do. We, we want to love God, make disciples, impact the world. And it's like small things done in great love will change the world. That's what uh, Vineyard Cincinnati has written on the outside of their building. And it's just, it's amazing. You don't ever realize like the ripple that your life can have. Or just a small act. You know, what, what a small act of love and kindness and mercy can do for people that are just desperate. Because like whether, whether they're Christian or not, People, especially in situations when you're fostering or, or, or else adopting, it can be really hard and lonely. I know sometimes it sounds like glamorous to people or like that's really, it, it, and there is a joy in it, but it's, it's really hard. It's really hard because none of these kids want to be in these situations and you get, um, yeah, you just, and it's hard. It's hard, it's hard stuff. So thank you, Sherry and Mike and uh, the rest of your house group for doing, doing the stuff. Um, last week, we talked about how we see God ultimately determines how we view ourselves. And I firmly believe unless we see God for who he is, that we'll never really properly understand the plans, purposes, and potential for our lives in the kingdom. And, and I think that we live in a day and age where a lot of people are confused about who God is, about how God is, about what he's like, about what his character is. And um, today we're going we're gonna to talk about who, who, who do people say that I am? I think one of the two most important questions ever asked was when Jesus said to the disciples in Matthew chapter, uh, chapter 16, he said, who do people say that I am? He turned to his disciples and asked them this. Who do people say that I am? And then he said, who do you say that I am? Really, what, what the, that last question, what we, how we answer that, um, determines everything for forever for us. It really, who we say Jesus is, has great bearing. It's not just some trite thing. It's not just like, what's for lunch? It's who Jesus is. I mean, like, we're really stuck with one of three options about this guy, Jesus, aren't we? C.S. Lewis says he's either a liar, because he said someone who made the claims God, that Jesus made about himself couldn't just be some other good teacher. He couldn't be some other good guy. He couldn't just be some whatever. Because like he said, if he made all these claims about himself and it's not true, he's a liar. Or he's a lunatic. Or he's a lunatic. Someone who would say this stuff. Like if you walked, if you met someone and they started telling you they were the son of God or that, that they could walk on water, that they could cast out demons, that they could heal the sick, by their own power, you would think they're a lunatic. Or else he's Lord. He's liar, he's lunatic, or Lord. And so what we say about that question answers all the other questions. It's the most important question you'll ever answer in your life. Because who you say Jesus is, if you believe that he is who he says he is, it changes not only 
your worldview, but it should change you and me. And I think a lot of times, a lot of us um, have a hard time with that question, if we're really honest, or have a hard time answering it because of um, our father figures in our life. I know for me, personally, who I said God was and who I lived who God was was not the same for a really long time. Because I had a lot of deep father wounds. I had a lot of pain. I had a lot of um, misconceptions, misperceptions about what it meant to be a man, what it meant to be a husband, what it meant to um, be valued. And I'm guessing I'm not the only one that there's a lot of people with father wounds. I mean, about half the world wakes up without a dad in their life. Either they were a sperm donor or they're there, but they're not there. Or they were there and they're gone, they're dead, their parents are divorced or whatever. So about half the world wakes up like in the predicament of not um, really understanding fatherhood very well. And I think the most precious thing we can receive on earth is an understanding of who God is. Who do we say he is? Not only who do we say he is, but learning who he is and learning how he is. So whether this is a really painful day for you or you had the best father or you, know, you don't know your father, whatever this day holds, the, the one truth that's most important, way more than who's your dad or who's my dad, is who is God the father? That's the most important question we'll ever answer. And that can be answered irrespective of what we've been left with. Irrespective of what I've experienced, what I've endured, or what I maybe didn't, or, you know, I could have the best dad ever. Who we say God is, is that is the answer to the question. That's the answer to all the other questions, really. That's the answer to all our questions. And like C.S. Lewis also said, he said... It's, he said, I see Jesus Christ like I see the sun. He said, not that I necessarily see the sun itself in all of its radiance, but by it, I see everything else. See, by Jesus, by who we say the Father is, because Jesus says, and then you might say, well, that's a weird kind of oscillation between Jesus and the Father. Jesus says, when you've seen the Father, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So Jesus Christ is who God the Father's always been. He's the full embodiment of the Godhead, it says. So the full representation of who the Father is can be found in Jesus Christ. The Father and the Son are one. This is going to be a message uh, like on the Trinity today or the dynamics of that. But there is a very um, imperative element to understand that when we see Jesus, we see the Father. And how we see Jesus is how we see the Father. And I think it's best to start where um, he describes himself. When he says, who do you say I am? Peter said, you, you God, Hamashiach. He says, you are the Messiah. You're the saving one. You're the deliverer. The son of the living God. And then Jesus says this back to Simon. He says, you are blessed, Simon, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. 
The father showed him this. Showed him who Jesus truly is. Showed him what he's like. I think, it's no, I think it's no coincidence that about 100 verses in the Bible refer to God as Father. Um, it's interesting that the main description God gives himself in human form, as we can relate to, is as a father. And I know in this day and age it might not be popular where people just kind of want to make everything like a mode and that, that there's no distinction between the genders, but God calls himself a father, and so I can call him a father. And he describes himself as that. And interestingly, this was not a very common perception in Jesus' day. Most of those hundred or so verses about the Father occur in the New Testament. There's a few verses in the Old Testament, but Jesus brings us alive. And the, um, Jesus' opponents of the day, they did not really um, value this way when Jesus talked about very much. In Isaiah chapter 63, it says, you are our father, though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us. You, O Lord, are our father, our redeemer, from of old is your name. Isaiah 64, 8, 9 says, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, you're the potter, we're the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not our inequity forever. See, I think many of us lack the ability to connect with God, not because he doesn't want us to. I think there's stumbling blocks in the way to how we perceive him. Like there's enough biblical um, rendering. If there's a hundred verses that God means, that's who he is. So it's not, it's not who he says he is. And I think it's not really maybe what other people are even saying is like our own capacity to receive him. I think it's a hindrance. I remember years ago, I was at this conference in 2013, and I don't even know why, but they were just singing. And there's a song, um, Your Love Never Fails. You've probably heard that song. And that part where they said, and I know that you love me. I mean, you could, I felt like I got like the, the ballast of like a missile through my heart. And it just started sobbing just where I was in this big I think it was Lucas Oil Stadium, like in Indianapolis. And I remember I was just weeping. And I started to understand the love of the Father. I think to date, at that point in time in my life, I caught glimpses, but I, I didn't see God as that. And I've talked about this a little before, but I saw him more that he loved me, but he tolerated me. Like he was love, but like he tolerated me. Or... I think at times maybe I even saw him as like a little abusive or a little angry, a little indignant with my many, many shortcomings. And the, the prospect of prayer was terrifying to me because I, I thought, I don't know what on earth I'm going to do when I get there because when I get there, I feel really uncomfortable. I feel really uncomfortable because every time I got in the presence of God, I would just weep and I felt sad and I just felt this brokenness and I felt this veil and this distance between me and God because I didn't really understand who he was. I didn't understand at its core that he wasn't, um, he wasn't my foster dad or that he wasn't my young teenage dad or that he wasn't you know, my drunk stepdad 
I don't think I truly understood that the three preeminent father figures I had like in my life, that Jesus wasn't any of those guys. And so I saw him from this lens of, if you act out, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to put it on you. You're to be seen, not heard. You annoy me. And and I'm I'm not like up here giving like a therapy, but I'm saying like some of you guys and gals can relate to this. To what you experienced. And maybe the representation you've had of a father. And even until now, because don't we all kind of pick aspects of Jesus we like the best? Like last week, like he's the buddy, he's the Rambo, he's like the lover, he's this eight pound, six ounce, you know, with the gold fleece diaper, you know, whatever it is. We have these renderings that we believe and it shapes our entire worldview. Because honestly, if we don't see him as Lord, it won't be very surprising that you live an unsurrendered life. If you don't feel, see him as saved, it won't be any surprise that you live the gospel of a good person. That you're thinking, well, he's kind of an add-on. I'm not that bad. I'm, I'm a good person. I provide. I go to work. I, I you know, don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls that do. Or maybe if I do, it's not that bad. You know? <laughs> you know, it's like we... We, this gospel of the good person, if we don't understand the saving power of what Jesus did, the necessity of that, we're just going to live like, oh, I'm a good person. Your goodness is irrelevant. What kind of father you had overall is irrelevant. This is about Jesus. And what the bad examples that I had on many levels, it's irrelevant. Now, my dad did the best he could, but he was a teenage guy. He did the best he could. He was from a broken family. He did the best he could, but a lot of times it wasn't enough. But that's, that's not the point. It's who, who's, who's Jesus? What's Jesus want to show us about the Father? John 14, 9, when you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. And I think it's important to know God is warm towards you. God is kind towards you. His heart is big towards you. His heart is generous towards you. His heart is accessible to you. He's not closed off. He's not in his lounge with his smoking jacket on, not wanting to be disturbed while he reads the paper after a long day. You don't have to put on the right garb, the right, uh, the right uh, regalia, the right voice to approach him. You don't have to wonder if he's gonna be there when you get there to visit. You don't, aren't gonna have to wonder if he wants you around. You're not gonna have to wonder if your presence is important or irritating. You're not gonna have to wonder how he feels about you. He's not selfish. He's safe. He's purposeful. He's not some uh, moronic sitcom dad. In like a divine comedy as Dante described him. That's not what he's like. That's not who he is. He's not confused about his gender. He's not confused about his sexuality. He's not perverse 
He'll never expose you to abuse you. That's not who he is. Jesus talked about God the Father so much because I believe he's most interested in us understanding him that way. It seemed like the way Jesus related to him. Like Jesus had this very tender, like even when he's on the cross, he's like, Daddy, will you call off the dogs? Like, Daddy. Like Jesus called God Daddy, Abba. Abba was what we'd call Daddy or Dad or Papa. Is he Abba to you or is he some other rendering? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 through 15, we see in the Lord's Prayer, we see who God is. Jesus says, when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans. I'm not going to really break this down a lot today besides six salient points that I believe we can draw from here about who God is. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard by their many words. Do not be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Then this is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. At Jesus's core, at God's core, they're holy. They're pure. They're right. Like right like rain. At his core, God's character. He's not convoluted. He's not... uh, this uh, like mysterious, are you going to get the happy dad or the drunk dad? He's always the same. He's pure. He doesn't change from day to day. He doesn't have variance. So his character, you can trust God's character. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's a king. When he talks about his kingdom, your daddy is a king. I think sometimes we carry on in a way that doesn't belie the fact that we're royalty. I think sometimes we live as as if we're paupers and we're approaching a raging despot who's cruel or that we're like people that like, you know, we don't have, have enough of what we need. So we gotta apologize. We gotta beg, we gotta posture. And Jesus at his court, he's a king. He's a king. And that means if you're his kid, you're a prince. You're a princess. You're rich. You're blessed. And we have a lot of people, I think, that have poverty mentalities. That we have a a deficit. That we operate from a deficit instead of an excess. Like our daddy owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Who cares if you don't got it? You ask him, there's always enough. He'll provide whatever we lack. Give us today our daily bread. He's a provider. He's not going to leave you foodless, clothless, homeless, without shelter, without provision. You can trust him. And forgive our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Our father at his core is a giver and a forgiver. It means he's generous. Down to the fact that he gave his blood in our place so we could live. He shed his blood. He held nothing back. We have a generous God. And you might have never known generosity in your life. 
Maybe you've always only had two pennies to rub together. I would encourage you to surrender those pennies and watch what Jesus does with them because he's generous to you and everyone else. Lead us not into temptation. God's a guide. God doesn't want us to fail. He's given us everything we need for godliness. He doesn't want us to fail. He has good plans for us. Like I said, he's not abusive or neglectful dad conducting some cruel social experiment with your life. He doesn't matter to God where you've been. He looks at you and he looks at me and says, that's someone I can love. That's someone I can make a miracle out of. That's something I can redeem. That's something I can repurpose. That's something that I can bless. Not that I can correct, that I can mitigate. It's like, no, that's something precious to me. And deliver us from the evil one. God's a protector. It's not popular in this day and age, but Exodus 15 says, the Lord is a warrior, the Lord is his name. He says, I will fight for you. In Isaiah, he says, I will contend with those who contend with you. Hebrews talks about, he says, it is a dangerous thing or a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of the living God. God will fight for you. You might have never felt fought for in your life. You might be in a marriage that you don't feel fought for. You might have parents that you never felt fought for. You might, you might have bosses. No one fights for you. You don't have to fight. You don't have to have your dukes up or your shield up or your like invisible wall up your whole life. God will fight for you. He will fight for us. But he's not gonna make us do any of this stuff. He's not gonna force who he is on us because he's not that kind of dad. He's not some belligerent tool bag who just needs to like show everyone how tough and awesome he is. He's the most secure being in the universe. I think the poor theology of, well, God is sovereign. So like, well, God is sovereign. So therefore, if you were ever saved and you stepped out, what well, violates his sovereignty? Sovereignty means in and of himself, he's sufficient. So whether I agree with his salvation, part of the time, none of the time, or all of the time, he's still sovereign. My agreement with him does not change who he is. And so this thing that like, you know, you're either in or out, Jesus I think is way more concerned with, and there's truth to that, but he's way more concerned with the orientation of our heart throughout the course of our lives than he was if we just signed up for fire insurance someday. He's way, more, he's way more concerned about that. I want to show you a video that I think is one of the most powerful things I've ever heard, that I've ever seen. And, it, and it's another preacher. It's kind of put to a video. An English guy, Graham Cook, so it just sounds cooler because he's English. But um, if we go ahead and roll that, and I just want you to see, this is, you're wondering how God sees you. Um, Listen up.
because he loves you, 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 because that is what he is like. It is his nature to love. And you will always be the beloved. And his love is unchanging. And he loves you a hundred percent. He won't love you any better when you become better. He loves you a hundred percent right now. And even if you have no plans to become better, he will still love you one hundred percent. Because he loves you, because that's the way that he is. And even if you don't want to change, he will love you a hundred percent. Even if you have no plans to walk with him, he will love you one hundred percent. Because that's his nature. He loves all the way, all the time. His love is unchanging. What will change, says the Lord, is your ability to receive my love. Mm. And this evening, I want to cram some more of that ability inside you. So I challenge you, says the Lord, open your heart to me. Open your heart to me. And you will receive more of my love than you've ever experienced before. I dare you, says the Lord. Come on, open your heart to me. Give me your heart. Give me whatever your obstacle is. I'll take it. I'll move it out of the way. Because I love you as you are right now. I love you 100% as you are right this moment. I love you as you are. So be loved. You are the beloved. It is your job, says the Lord, to be loved outrageously. It is why I chose you. That is why I set my love upon you. That you would live as one who is outrageously loved. That you would receive a radical love. So radical. It will blow all your paradigms of what you think love is. And now says the Lord, I will love you outrageously all the days of your life. Because... I don't know how to be any different. This is who I am. And this is who I will always be. This is the I am that I promise you. I am he that loves you outrageously. And you may love me back with the love that I give you. You may love me back outrageously with the outrageous love that I So much to be so upon you. So much. 
Amen. My love hates fear. My love will fight fear. It will fight fear in you. It will fight fear around you. And if you have fear this evening, says the Lord, then know that you have a treat in store. Because my perfect love casts out fear. There is no fear where I am present. Because my love casts out fear. I'd like uh, prayer teams to not crowd, but spread out around the room. And I just think that God wants to just, um, that song we sing, um, Have It All. It's a lot easier to give it all to a God like that than some poor caricature that maybe you've lived with, that I know I lived with for 36 years, 37 years. So if you want prayer today, um, maybe you don't know Jesus. Like I've been wondering what this stuff's about. I came with my dad because I had to or because they asked me to. Maybe you're just checking it out. That's, that's what this stuff's about. So Lord, um, that we could focus more on your character you're a provider that you're a king that um, you're a giver you're a foregiver you're a guide you're a protector Lord that we could understand you in a way that's uh, palatable that we could see you in a way that's who you are that we could give it all Lord come forward if you want prayers. Is there anyone today that says, I, I, I'd like to know Jesus. I want to know him again. I've been far away. We don't always do this, but I just, uh, the best gift we can ever give God on Father's Day is not some tie or ugly mug. It's, it's your heart. Best thing you can ever give God is your heart. It's your life or give it all. So if you want prayer, we're just gonna pray and they're gonna sing for a few minutes, but um, you are deeply loved. God is a worthy God to follow. The Father is calling you today and he invites you to come, to come meet with him, to dine with him, to partake with him and to um, walk anew. Maybe you just have been in a gutter swinging and you're really stuck in the throes of an addiction or a loss or a transition, come get prayer. Your father has what you need. He knows what you need before you even ask, Jesus says. Would you come, Holy Spirit? Would you just fall on this church, fall on this place? Fall on all these dads, Lord. Would you help us men 
whether we're dads or have been dads or will be dads or whatever the case is, Lord. Maybe we'll never be a physical dad. But Lord, um, if you're a disciple maker, you're a dad. Would you, would you release a spirit of fatherhood, of godly fatherhood on this church? Would we have godly men and women that represent you well? Thank you, Lord.